Brian McClanahan Show, episode 299. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back in the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page, at Brian McClanahan. And of course, subscribe to my YouTube page, where you can watch this podcast, at Brian McClanahan. You'll find all those social media accounts at my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an e- email address, excuse me, and I'll send you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com, mclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. When you do enroll, you get a free course. You either click on that 10 myths of American history, or just wait for it, an email will show up. And of course, those that enroll in McClanahan Academy will get the best deals on forthcoming courses, though I do have a new course out, and you can get it now. It's the American Presidents. I cover all 45 men who have been American presidents. Now, I say American presidents because there have been 44 U.S. presidents, but one other American president that I cover in the class. So it's 47 lectures, 15 hours of material. I'm running a special on it right now. If you're on my email list, you're getting that special. You're getting an email about it just about every day. That special will run through tomorrow, which is Wednesday the 25th. If you're getting this on Tuesday the 24th, Wednesday the 25th, will be the last day of the special, so you're going to want to get in on that. It's a great course, and um, I cover all the presidents and with if they follow their oath of office. So um, we're talking about presidential government now and, of course, all the problems with that, looking at Donald Trump. We're going to talk about that a little bit today, too. So great way to support the, the, uh, the show by going to McClanahan Academy. Also, go to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on, help keep the podcast going. Also go to learntruehistory.com, learntrue, T-R-U-E, history.com, my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. Again, if I can speak today, it's early in the morning. And always, uh, please rate this podcast wherever you get your podcast. Share it around on social media. Do what you can to spread the word of thinking locally and acting locally. We've got to do it organically. And now is the time as I'm going to talk about. Now is the time, ladies and gentlemen. We are facing, in the United States, even when I talked about this virus a couple of times in previous podcasts, um, I wasn't certain that what we're looking at now was going to happen. Um, but I think that uh, it's very clear that the, the Wuhan virus is causing all kinds of problems in America, and most importantly, it's causing economic problems in America. And so now is the time to start thinking, what is America going to look like in the post-Wuhan virus world? I mean, what is going to happen? We know that China is back up and running for business. Um, it's starting to produce things again. But America now is shut down. And America has shown that its industry, which is basically service, is going to be very difficult to maintain during this particular time period. When close to uh, 30% of your workforce, at least, is involved in service, which means restaurants, hotels. That's at least 30% of your workforce is involved in that. And nobody's shopping, and nobody's eating out, and nobody's going to hotels. Well, what does that do to your economy and your society? 
when American companies are so leveraged by debt that they're asking the general government for another bailout, which we just had one a decade ago, and now they want another one. And of course, a bailout means the taxpayers are going to pay for it. And I, I saw a comment, I'm going to talk about a couple of pieces here about this, where, oh, these libertarians are so stupid. Don't they know this is not state control of the economy? It's just taxpayer control of the economy. Urgh. Yeah, well, I mean, the state gets their money from the taxpayers. Everybody knows that, moron. But, of course, it is state control of the economy because they're picking winners and losers. We're looking at, we're looking at Hamilton's fusion of economy and society that Jefferson warned against. This is we're, The chickens are coming home to roost in this way again. This is Hamilton's nightmare crashing the economy. When you look at all the uncertainty that goes around what's happening in America right now, we have the government talking about a $4 trillion, possibly $4 trillion bailout. If you look at what the Fed's done, they're all in. They've done quantitative easing again. They're just saying, we're going to print until we can't print. Now, there's a big problem with that. People don't need printing money because when the Fed prints money, who gets it? The people at the top, not the people at the bottom. It's not going to solve the problem of goods and services. It's just going to create massive inflation. And of course, that's going to crush every person in America that makes a wage or a salary. It's going to crush them. So we need to start talking about what's going to happen to America in the post-Wuhan virus world. China's back up and running. Russia's up and running, for the most part. I mean, they haven't... South Korea never, never slowed down. And there's some... There's an article I just read, and why? Why did South Korea not shut down? Well, because they tested, they quarantined those that were sick, and everyone else just went to work. Um, certainly, people got it, but it petered out pretty quickly in South Korea. Here we are in the United States, a week in, a little over a week in to our massive 15-day national quarantine, and the cases just keep rising. Another 10,000 cases overnight from Monday into Tuesday. The cases just keep going up. Now, some of this is due to testing, I think. And that's that's one thing that people need to understand. A lot of this is not, these are not new cases in terms of that there is a new transmission. These are cases that were already there. So we're up to near 50,000 cases, I think, in the United States. And to put, put that in perspective, there's 320 million people. And so we're not even at a point yet where where we're sitting at uh, even 1% of the American population infected by this particular virus. It doesn't mean it's not nasty and you shouldn't pay attention to it. It is nasty. Just as the flu is nasty, this thing is nasty. And of course, a lot of people have to be hospitalized with it uh, because the respiratory problems with it are, are, are tremendous. Uh, but when I was um, in my early 30s, I saw uh, a friend of mine who was 30 years old die from swine flu because he caught pneumonia, and he died. So these kind of things can happen even with the flu to healthy people. He was a runner, ran 5Ks all the time, ran 10Ks, worked out all the time. He got the swine flu on a cruise, and it killed him. And uh, tragic. I mean, any time that someone dies with this, it's tragic, and there's no doubt about it. Nobody wants to get this nasty thing. But we're shutting down the American economy. And um, so what is that going to mean? I'm not talking about the merits of this or not. I think some of this is, I mean, who knows what's going to happen. But what is America going to look like? So I wrote a piece for the Abbeville Institute yesterday 
And it was entitled, How the Southern Tradition Can Save America. I think that what we're seeing with the response to this virus is it's going to take the Southern tradition for people to understand what has to happen here. Now, part of that, of course, and I would say this, and it's exposing the weaknesses in the American economy, which is over leveraging. Everyone is over, every, everyone is in debt. And when you're in debt, you have no wiggle room. You don't have any reserves to weather out a bad storm, which is an economic downturn. This is why the government said we're going to give you so much money. Americans are not prepared because they have no savings, because the government doesn't encourage that, because the central banking system doesn't want you to save money. You can't make any money saving money anymore. Because of inflation, you're better to spend your dollar now than to spend it a year from now because that dollar is worth less than it was this year. And so we encourage spending. And not just that, we encourage debt. We encourage credit. And so when you go out and you get credit, it's not real money. You owe that money. And so all Americans are leveraged. Companies are leveraged. Everyone's in debt. In fact, the best case scenario for this is everyone's a Dave Ramsey acolyte. But you see, nobody really is. Or everyone had, uh, you know, you need a budget or one of these other programs where it tells you to have at least you're living on last month's salary or you're, you're trying to encourage to have money in reserve so you can weather out a storm like this. But see, most people don't have that. If we had, if everyone in America did that, then this wouldn't even be a big deal. People be chewing into their savings, but you've just got a couple of months off. You're just using up, you know, you may not be going on vacation, but you're using that money that you have. In, now, at some point, you're going to run out of money and you're going to need to go back to work. But maybe you got two or three months in reserve, so you can weather out two or three months. And at that point, you got you got to figure something out. Or maybe, you know, there's something else happening there. Okay, so, but this is what happens when everyone is leveraged to the point that they can't, they can't exist without a paycheck. And so, when you go back in American history and you look at what's, what Southerners or the Southern tradition offered for that, certainly Southerners dealt in debt. I mean, look, when you look at Jefferson and others, they were leveraged as well. This was a difficult situation. They were buying land at all times. But land is something that's more tangible in a downturn than, say, uh, a, a consumer good, a video game system, or a pair of shoes. You can't eat or use a video game system except for entertainment. But if you needed to eat and you knew how to hunt, you can use land. There is a difference there. Um, so at least you could survive, you can fish, you can hunt, you can grow things on the land. And that's part of the Southern tradition. That's the agrarian lifestyle. This is where the South might offer something in this current crisis. We're looking at the situations of hotspots in America. They're predominantly in, in urban areas. Not all of them, but they're predominantly in urban areas. Your rural communities seem to be avoiding this thing a little more. Now, of course, this virus was brought over because of international travel. Without question, uh, you know, when we closed down China, which was a good idea, we didn't close down Europe, and the virus got into Europe, and a lot of people, of course, go to Europe, um, particularly at the time we were looking at because it's Lent. We're moving up to Easter, so people were in Italy. People were in Europe, enjoying Europe, and they brought the virus back from Europe, not necessarily from China. The first case in Washington where they had this terrible outbreak there was from China, but people were bringing this back from Europe. You have... You have thousands and thousands of Americans that went to Europe and, of course, were exposed to the virus there. 
So this is why it can go everywhere in America. And then, of course, you get community transmission and other things, which, again, we're not even at a point where we're at 1% of the American population yet infected with this virus. Or we could be, we don't know, because 80 to 90% of the cases are mild and people don't even know they have it. So um, the question is, what what is America, again, going to look like? Well, in this piece I wrote, I, I mentioned some of these things. First of, first of all, I think one thing that's coming out of this is a renewed interest in federalism. You look at the response from the general government. It's been everyone 15 days. we got this 15-day plan to slow the spread of the virus. Go stay at home for 15 days. Now, Trump is already starting to, to send signals that after 15 days, we might reevaluate this and say people need to go back to work. Now, that's the general government speaking, because what's happening at the state and local level, and I think what the ultimate objective was even in that, is figure out where the hotspots are and then act accordingly. Figure out where the hotspots are and then act accordingly, meaning that if New York City is a hotspot, well, we need to shut down New York City. Or if uh, Los Angeles, California is a hotspot, or Seattle, Washington, or... I mean, take your pick, New Orleans, Louisiana, which is now a hotspot. If we have hotspots, shut down those areas and try to stop the spread there. But let everything else open back up again. And of course, use good sanitation. Make sure you wash your hands. Do all those things. Social distancing. First of all, when social distancing, the South, the Southern tradition, is the premier social distancing <laughs> section of the country. I mean, uh, rural areas are great for social distancing. Now, of course, when you talk about churches and other things, you get close. In, in Georgia, one of the major outbreaks that happened in Georgia was from funerals, right? So, I mean, these are things you have to you have to be concerned about, not just with Wuhan, but also with flu and other things. I mean, these are nasty infectious diseases, but, um, and of course, good personal hygiene is always something that's important. Gosh, Hippocrates of Kos was talking about this back in the classical period. This is why you know, one of his recommendations, if you came to him when you were sick, is wash your smelly body. Make sure you wash your hands, wash your face, wash your stinking body. Because you know what? That's going to prevent the spread of disease. You get that funk off of you, the bacteria, the viruses, everything you're carrying around on yourself. Maybe we shouldn't shake hands. Maybe that's not a good idea. Um, you know, this is something that uh, people have been questioning now for a little while. Shaking hands may not be the best idea or slapping hands or other things when it comes to you know, germ transmission. You don't have to shake someone's hand. Who knows if they've even washed their hand in the last week? Who knows, right? So you're getting all that bacteria and filth off that person onto you, and then it's a, it's a mess. But back to federalism for a minute. So we've got these hotspots. So even if Trump said, look, we're opening back up the economy, it doesn't mean the states are going to do it. In fact, the states can do whatever they want in this particular crisis. This is something I've already talked about. The states could shut down airports. The states could, the states could shut down their borders, essentially, if they wanted to. They could close their borders. I mean, the state of, take your pick, could close its borders to citizens from other states coming into the state. It could just say, look, our borders are closed. We're not allowing you in. Now, of course, this could face legal hurdles, but that's got to work its way through the court system. So the states could just do it and say, we're not letting you in unless you're bringing in goods and services from another state. You're bringing in toilet paper, which we need. You're bringing in food products, which we need, or supplies. You're not allowed in. We're not letting you in. And uh, maybe you're coming from a hotspot. 
Look, some states are already saying if you're flying in from New York, I think Florida's doing this. If you're flying in from New York and New Jersey or anywhere that's a hotspot, you're going to go into quarantine. It doesn't matter what you want. That's what you're doing. You're going to quarantine because we're going to try to stop the spread of this particular virus. So federalism is seeing a comeback in America because of the fact that people are thinking about, wait a second here. The states can do more. The states can shut down businesses. States can shut down schools. States can do all of these things, whether it's a good idea or not is another question, but they can. So we're seeing a renewed interest in this idea that the states have powers. Wow, that's amazing. So the question is, in the long run, if the economy tanks, if the economy does tank, which it's going to tank, it's already tanked, are people going to start talking about secession, independence? These type of things, a military response to this virus coming from the central authority, an economic crisis, a major economic downturn, these are the things that actually spur these type of discussions. Why would I want to be part of this monstrosity that's destroying civil liberties, that's enforcing state socialism, doing all these things, it's destroying the economy, should the states act as independent agents at this point and tell the government to take a hike, tell the general government to take a hike? I mean, I've, I've read that the military is already planning if the general government gets it. Of course, we've seen U.S. Senator now, Rand Paul, with it. We've seen state legislators with it. I mean, what happens if, if the government completely breaks down? Now, we know what Jefferson said about that. Government's incapable of annihilation. Why? Because the people have the power. So what happens there? The people of the states have the power, most importantly. What happens there? Do the people just say, look, we're not obeying your decrees anymore. We're going to do what we want. Is the army going to shoot people? I mean, I don't know. But we're going to, I think that unfortunately, this could be a situation where we have some type of economic or military response to this that's going to be a disaster. And so, do states actually talk about, let's leave this union? We don't need it. We can operate independently. Maybe my state is not, maybe I'm in North Dakota. We've got like, 100 cases, why are we shutting down our entire economy for 100 cases of coronavirus, Wuhan virus, when we can isolate the sick people, we get testing here, the free market is working, people are getting more testing supplies, why can't, why can't we just operate and test people? I mean, this is what South Korea did, they just tested everybody. And again, the people, they kept the economy open, the people that were sick went and they went, and, and of course people wore gloves and they wore masks and they did everything they could to try to avoid getting the virus. And so that worked for South Korea very well. Their cases aren't growing much at all. The United States is going the Chinese route and we don't have the society like the Chinese have. They have manufacturing and other things and of course people are so dependent on the state. Do we want to be in China? It's a big question. Do we want to be in China? All right, I'm going to take a break here for a minute. I'll see you on the other side. We'll talk about some other things with the Southern tradition and how this is part of this solution to the problem, which is the Wuhan virus now. I'll see you then. Let me talk to you for a minute about McClanahan Academy. I know at the beginning of this particular podcast or this video, I talked about McClanahan Academy. But let me go into a little more detail about why I think you should sign up for it and why, and why I created it. First, a little bit about me. I have a PhD in American history from the University of South Carolina, and I've taught in the college environment for 20 years. And I've seen college students get worse over time, the curriculum get worse, and students are being indoctrinated more than educated now in our higher education system, whether it's high school or college. So I wanted a counterweight to that. 
And this is why I created the McClanahan Academy. Now, first, it's always free to enroll at McClanahan Academy. You sign up. It's free. And I give you a free course, 10 Myths of American History, when you do sign up. So it's a great way to get an introduction to what I do. But I've got eight courses for sale there and more forthcoming. All of these courses are designed to give you the non-PC version of American history, to take the red pill, so to speak. And I've got two courses in particular, my U.S. History Survey courses, which are designed for homeschoolers. So if you're a homeschooler and you want a good curriculum, and uh, my family has homeschooled all of our children from the beginning, and you want a solid history curriculum, that's why I designed the United States History 18, to 1865 and 1865 to present. You've got enough material, you've got lesson plans, you've got uh, tests, you've got reading material, you've got reading seminars, you've got 36 weeks, if you take them, buy them both, you've got 36 weeks of material, and it can be used as a high school history curriculum, or if you're just a lifelong learner, you can use it otherwise, but it's a great way to get a real history education devoid of Marxism and progressivism and political correctness. So sign up at mclanahanacademy.com. That's mclanahanacademy.com. Again, always free to enroll, and I'll see you there. All right, we're back talking about the Wuhan virus, and not just that. What is America going to look like on the other side of the Wuhan virus? We've talked about potentially, you know, of course, federalism seeing a comeback. We're also seeing potentially, because of a military economic response, an over-response by the general government, potentially... Self-determination, independence, secession, whatever you want to call it. Nullification. All of these things, I think, are going to be on the table in these states because of the government response to it. One thing you're also seeing, of course, is personal responsibility. I, I, look, Southerners in that self-independent, you know, this, this rugged individualism, self-determination, independent streak that they have. I mean, look, you are your best defense against this particular virus. So whether it's financially, whether it's health, you are your best defense. And Southerners, of course, because of defeat and economic dislocation, have, I mean, look, Reconstruction destroyed the South. And so Southerners for a long time had to be more resilient and self-reliant than anyone else in the United States. The agrarian lifestyle, simply having a farm. Now, most Southerners aren't farmers anymore. This is, I mean... If I asked the question when I have my on-campus classes, I said, how many people in here are farmers? I might get one or two people raise their hand. They have family members that are still farmers. It would have been everybody just 50 years ago. Everyone would have had a family member that was a farmer. We don't have that anymore. But certainly, um, Southerners are aware that, uh, you know, growing a garden in your backyard, uh, being able to, to provide for your family, yourself, going out and doing these things is very important. And so... Uh, that self-reliance, self-determination, rugged individualism. You know, we I mean, look, the state motto of Alabama in 1861 was touch me not. I mean, independence, right? Leave us alone. Put your house back off the road. Have a little land. Do these kind of things so you can actually survive if there's a major economic downturn. You can eat. You can do something. But, of course, when it comes down to debt, Southerners are just slopping at the trough just like everyone else. They're just as much in debt this is the real problem. It's it's the it's the prevalence of debt in America. So again, if you're if you've got reserves and these kind of things, you're in better shape. But it's real. It's going to be really hard for a lot of people, and that that's without question. Um, but still, that Southern tradition of independence, self-reliance. You know, you, as as I said in the piece, you can't grow tomatoes and corn in concrete. 
and you can't uh, you can't go bass fishing in the sewer, but you can in the south and the rural areas. So that rural environment is certainly going to be more productive and conducive to survival for people in a bad economy than anything else, than anything else. So um, this is where the Southern tradition, the agrarian tradition, agrarianism, I'll take my stand, who owns America? I mean, these critiques have been there for almost 100 years now. I mean, we're 20, uh, you know, 2030 will be the 100th anniversary of I'll Take My Stand. That's, we're at 90 years of I'll Take My Stand. Uh, 2036 will be 100 years of Who Owns America. We're, at, you know, we're, we're sitting at a point where people have been saying these things now for close to 100 years. We, it's been 100 years now of this economy that we've gotten, and we're facing an economic abyss. We don't know what's going to happen. So you've got federalism. You've got that self-determination, self-reliance, independence, whatever you want to call it. Certainly that's more prevalent in the South than anywhere else. And then when you look at this quarantine situation, people, I see it on social media, people are complaining about it, what it's doing. Well, I mean, for a lot of people, I mean, for the, for the South with clo- close-knit families and other things, I mean, this is just something that's normal, right? You're around your family. Heck, maybe staying in is going to save a marriage or two. Maybe it's, it's going to be more conducive to, to building relationships, intimacy with your children and your, and your spouse, um, with other family members, helping your neighbors, helping uh, people that need it in your community. It's going to build community. Family is the backbone of community. It's going to be more conducive to creating a tight-knit family. I mean, people don't want to be around their family anymore. Why? Well, it's because of John Dewey's public education system. John Dewey's public education system forced these laboratories on people where the schools became more important and your social network became more important than your family. So maybe your family now becomes more important. These are the people that are right there beside you every single day. It's going to be that kind of environment again where family becomes more important than friends. Family becomes more important than acquaintances, the people that you go to school with. And speaking of school... We know what schools have become, indoctrination centers. So now kids are all home. I don't think there's any school in America that's open right now where people are actually going to school. So now we're forcing everyone into homeschooling. Now, it's not a panacea for most. Homeschooling is difficult. There's no question about it. It is a difficult thing to do for everyone involved. It's not easy. But... This is opening the door to people who are thirsty for knowledge and want alternate instruction. They want other media. They want other views. They might know that the school is indoctrinating their kids, but they don't know what to do about it. Now they're forced home with them, so now they have to figure out something to do about it. So you get alternate media. You get something like McClanahan Academy or LearnTrueHistory.com. You get these kind of things. Or maybe it's just the free resources at Mises or Abbeville Institute or all the things that are out there. And so maybe you're a libertarian, maybe you're a conservative, you're looking for these things. You're looking for something for some to, to get your kids something in front of them that's not the washed-up hippie at the local college or university or even the high school, right? Or the social justice warrior that's decided to go into teaching because they can't do anything else. And so they're out there teaching at the high school or middle school or whatever it is. They're getting the government approved curriculum. Well, I mean, you can get away from that in this particular situation. Remember, most of the founding generation were homeschooled. They were reared on the classics. That's important to understand. I mean, look, 
these people were reared on Greek and Roman history and philosophy. I mean, this is this is where they cut their teeth, so to speak, which is why they spoke in those terms. Oftentimes, you look at George Washington. His favorite his favorite play was Cato. I mean, this is what these people wanted. They wanted that classical education. Um, it's, maybe they didn't necessarily want it all the time, but it's what they were given. There's a great book about that, Carl Richard, The Founders and the Classics. He gets into that. Um, he gets into this idea of the classics and classical education and what people needed and wanted and, and um, how important that was in the formation of the United States and American society. So we've got that situation going on. Well, more, and pe- more people are forced home, which is producing maybe a beneficial situation for families, for education, these type of things. So the Southern tradition certainly is part of that. And, um, you know, ultimately, well, I mean, people are looking to avoid depression and uh, because they're closed in. Well, music, people are turning to music. Well, where does every major American music come from? Well, it's the South, except for polka. Polka, nobody listens to polka. So we've got this situation that's brewing where the Southern tradition offers um, some advice on what to do moving forward in this very difficult time for Americans. Um, and I, the last thing I, I pointed, I talked about this piece, is, uh, you know, this idea of the economic downturn. And Jeff Dice wrote a really great piece for The Hill um, where he's against the bailouts. And he brings up all kinds of great reasons why we shouldn't be bailing anything out, particularly when it comes to airlines and uh, businesses that, are, that have made stupid decisions. And I go back to uh, in one of my books in The Politically Incorrect Guide to Real American Heroes. I talked about George Westinghouse. George Westinghouse was a great industrialist, a great inventor. Um, in fact, if it wasn't for George Westinghouse, we wouldn't have this podcast right now because he's the one that brought alternate, uh, alternating current to America. Now, he didn't invent the brushless motor that created that. It was Nikola Tesla. But Westinghouse is the one who figured out how to deliver this system to America. Um, but he was also a businessman, and we had some pretty bad downturns in the late 19th century. Got you had a terrible panic in 1893, had a terrible panic in the early 20th century. And Westinghouse kept his factories open during that time period. Even if his men couldn't really make anything, he kept the factories open. Now, why would he do that? Well, because he wanted to make sure those people could still eat. But he could do that because he wasn't over leveraged. He wasn't in so much debt. His balance sheet was to a point where he could actually pay to keep people working. We can't do that anymore because governments and individuals and corporations have so much debt that they have to service that first before they can pay their workers. You see, so the debt comes first, then the workers. This is the problem, and and of course, Dice points this out. What we're doing is is piling more debt on individual taxpayers to pay for corporations that were making bad financial decisions, whether it's airlines. And he says, look, the airlines won't go away. They can either sell airplanes or somebody else will come in and buy it for pennies on the dollar and make the airlines better. Somebody else is there. I mean, there are still people with capital. Even when the Great Depression hit and we were at 20% unemployment, there were still people making money during the Great Depression. There were still opportunities during the Great Depression. So there's still people out there with these things. So we're bailing out bad decisions with another bad decision, which is going to create more bad in America. And I, I, so if you look up you know, Jeff Dice, I think that the title is Against the Coronavirus Corporate Bailout. 
Um, and I mean, this is where we are. He says at least Bernie Sanders is saying send the money to people because that's going to help them pay their rent or other things. I mean, so if we're, I mean, th this is the question: Should we ban like corporations? Should we be sending checks to people? What should we do? And of course, now they're talking about some digital currency. There's all kinds of things. There's all kinds of warning signs out there. And of course, this is all Hamilton's design. This is all Hamilton's economic system. This is exactly what Hamilton wanted. This is what Jefferson and Taylor and others were warning against for years. Warning against what we're seeing today. The fusion of government and finance. The fusion of government and industry. Because that creates a very volatile situation should there be a downturn. Because one is going to depend on the other. And there's no independence in that. There's no independence. And I think um, I'm reading a book right now by Stephen Knott. It's about the American presidency. It's really bad. Um, and I'll be reviewing that at some point here in the future, near future. But he, he has a love affair with, of course, Alexander Hamilton and thinking that this is, this is the greatest thing. I mean, Hamilton and, and, of course, Lincoln is Hamilton's disciple and all. But, I mean, what we don't, Hamilton is ruinous. And he says that Jefferson and, and of course, all the Jeffersonians were just narrow-minded, provincial. They, didn't, they were just partisans. They didn't understand all these things. They didn't understand bank. Anyone who understood banking was siding with Hamilton. No, no, I, I don't think that's the case. There were certainly Jeffersonian bankers who understood that fractional reserve banking was bad, that state, that fusion of state and banking was bad. All these things were bad. Um, one of the things you get out of state, of course, control finances is wars. So, yeah, we, we had a hard time fighting the War of 1812. So we get a central bank and we've got all these wars, right? So, I mean, yeah, if you like wars, central banking is a great thing. They can just borrow money and finance all this stuff. So, um, but we're seeing the, the effect of Hamiltonianism run amok in America today. And of course, Hamilton would not have been in, this is not to say Hamilton would have, would have agreed with the over-leveraging of Americans in America in general. He wouldn't have. And he, even as Secretary of Treasury, the man had one employee and he kept a, a single desk in his office. I mean, this is not a guy that was interested in excessive debt, but he certainly provided the blueprint for it. So Hamilton's system is the problem, not Hamilton himself. Hamilton's system is the problem because, I mean, look, it requires a tremendous amount of restraint that most people don't have. And so that's the issue we're facing. What is America going to look like two months from now, three months from now? How can the Southern tradition offer a critique of this and not just that, a renewal, right? I mean, this is... I want you to think positively because there are positive things out there that could be happening because of this. But we just have to be able to hunker down and, and get through it. Um, so this is this is going to be a difficult time, but I think that uh, you know there are some some ways to cope with this. And uh, and again, the, the Southern tradition offers part of that. And um, and of course, looking at who knows what's going to happen uh, next week, or you know, is America going to go back to work or not? I mean, these are all questions. So anyways, that's my two cents on this, and uh, I'll see you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show.